Hello, thank you everyone for coming. I'm delighted to welcome you to the Future of the UK conference, uh, joint from the Institute for Government and the Bennett Institute for Public Policy. We're going to kick off proceedings with a presentation um, on our review of the UK constitution, the 18th month pro project that our organisations have collectively collectively embarked upon, and a presentation of our final paper, which concludes the review that is published today. Um, I'm Jess Sargent. I'm an Associate Director here at the Institute for Government and have been leading the review of the UK Constitution. And joining me to present our findings are the Co-Director of the Bennett Institute, Professor Michael Kenny, and Director of the Institute for Government, Dr Hannah White. So Mike's going to start by telling us a bit about why we launched the review um, and what we hoped to achieve. Thank you. Thank you, Jess, if you could move the slide. Um, and just to add my welcome to all of you for coming today and to those of you online. Um, I guess I should start by saying if, if anyone's got their dates muddled up and thinks they're about to see Liz Truss, uh, you're going to be a bit disappointed and probably quite shocked. Um, but just to echo um, Jess's point, this has been a, a partnership, an unusual partnership between our respective organisations, which has run for uh, the past 18 months, which turns out when you're thinking about the Constitution is actually quite a short period of time. Um, what we were trying to do, move the slide, thank you, um, from the outset was really to take a step back <clears throat> and attempt to take stock of the impact of the last few years of political turbulence upon our governing institutions and upon some of the deep set norms and principles that are associated with the British system of governance. We also looked at specific issues and institutions in relation to the Constitution, but whilst also trying to keep alive a perspective that was sort of more system-wide, looking at the whole as well as looking at the parts. We undertook this work in the context of what has been a very polarised uh, set of debates, as you will well know, and often very divisive uh, debates, and in which at key points, particularly during the Brexit crisis, but in other moments too, constitutional arguments have been weaponised. They've been turned into almost sort of political uh, weapons. And in response to all of that, what we attempted to do was take a more dispassionate and evidence-based approach and particularly try to get politicians and other key stakeholders to have a better set of, a better set of conversations with each other about some of these constitutional issues. In fact, what I'd say one of the most striking themes that has emerged, I think, in the course of the review is actually the sense that's come through to us that people actually feel very unsure about the Constitution, what it is, where it is, and what are those underlying principles. We also, thirdly, attempted to identify areas where we thought reforms were most urgently needed, Obviously, there's all sorts of changes we might all want to make, but we tried to hone in on what we thought were the really key changes that need to be made within the near to medium term future. And with one eye on reforms that we think might appeal across a narrow segment of political opinion. Now, in some cases, I think some of our proposals, there's a, there's a the prospect of, of a degree of cross-party consensus. In other cases, the parties will no doubt disagree about some of these issues and advance their own agenda, which is entirely healthy. The next slide, please. Um, the project, the review project, the whole thing has had a number of different elements that I just want to briefly describe. 
We have had um, a panel of advisors help us with our work. You can see them on our website. Uh, they are advisors only. I should stress that. They were not asked or required to sign off our proposals. I'm fairly sure some of them will not agree with some of the things we've recommended. But we really want to thank them for the thinking, the commitment, and the challenges that they've offered us as we've progressed through this work. Um, the project team, a core team across the two institutions, has produced its own, several keynote reports, which are the details of which you can find in the final report. And we also commissioned a number of experts to write reports for us on some of the key constitutional issues of the day. In addition to all of that, we held public, we've had various meetings, some of you will have attended some of those online and in person. We also went to hold workshops right across the UK in different parts of the UK where we met with a, a range of stakeholders from holding different perspectives and listened really to the debates and concerns that emerged in, a, in the constitutional discussion in those different areas. You can see the write-ups actually of those sessions again in the final paper published today. And then finally, the, the red box here, we are now bringing out the final paper in this series. I could ask. So how have we gone about our work in, in sort of substantive terms? Well, as you all will well know, the Constitution is a very large, if not daunting, topic. And uh, putting boundaries around it is an immense challenge in its own right. So fairly on, in the very first paper we published, our framework paper, we identified three axes of power and authority along which the UK Constitution works. So these I will just very briefly touch on. One, the core institutions of British government and their relations with each other. Secondly, um, examination of the nature and implications of the different models of, and forms of devolved government established right across the UK and their relations with central government. And then thirdly, the democratic dimension. We tried to keep a focus on citizens and their understanding of and input into constitutional questions. Now, the, these next slides just give you just a line, also locate the different reports that we've commissioned with these three themes. So I won't cover all of these. Please do look them up. They're all on our respective websites. The first here, some of the papers on these institutional questions, including, for instance, uh, Meg Russell's reports on the House of Lords, on form for the House of Lords. The next one on devolution, um, we produced, just one thing to highlight there, an in-house report, an in-depth report on how to extend devolution in England, which both political, main political parties are now looking hard at. And then thirdly, if you can, on the democratic one, amongst the different reports we've published here, one on the constitutional implications of doing electoral reform in the House of Commons. Um, and these reports set out a range of different proposals, and you can see a brief account of those at the end of the final paper published today. The new paper, which we are launching today, sets out a number of additional proposals which are designed to bolster and refresh the workings of the Constitution and indeed of the, the wider system of governance, which has been so sorely tested in recent years. There, the introduction of these proposals, we argue, 
would underpin and enable some of the different reforms that are anticipated in these various reports, and also others that have been set out separately by our different organisations. So to tell you more about this today's paper, I'm going to pass to Hannah. Thanks very much, Mike, and good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for this very exciting uh, day of discussion of the uh, review of the Constitution that we've produced, and in particular, the final paper, which is uh, what we're talking to you about right now. Um, as Mike has said, what we want to do with this final paper is make an overarching case for why the UK Constitution needs to be renewed and refreshed, starting from the point of view that we have a political constitution, as you all know, which has a set of checks and balances within and between institutions uh, which make it operate, and with the principle that actors within the constitution need to exercise self-restraint or be restrained by political mechanisms within that constitution. Um, and I think that the recommendations we put forward in this final paper are designed to address what we see as three core problems with the, institution, with the Constitution. The first are the weaknesses in this system of checks and balances, which we feel have been exposed in the, over the last period, arguably since 2016. Now, we're not saying that they're actually necessarily new. Really, lots of these are more long-standing problems, which you can point to having deeper roots, but this last period has really highlighted some of those weaknesses. And we've seen an increased uh, willingness, for example, by political actors to put uh, constitutional principles second to political aims they've been trying to uh, achieve and to really test some of the boundaries of the constitution. So that weakness in this system is something that we wanted to try to address. The second problem, we think, is that in the UK, unlike in many other countries, it is incredibly easy to change the constitution. You only need, because of the principle of parliamentary sovereignty, a simple parliamentary majority to change a law which has fundamental consequences for the constitution in the same way as you might change the Dangerous Dogs Act. So we think that that's not actually um, the right way to go about thinking about the Constitution. Actually, constitutional change is of a nature that you ought to secure wider political and public support for a change before you go about uh, trying to make it. And so our recommendations aim towards making that uh, more likely and really focusing on the role of the public in this process. That this shouldn't be an exclusively political game, changing the rules of the game and the Constitution. And that points to our third problem that we try to address, which is this lack of clarity we believe there is in the Constitution. Because we don't have a codified Constitution, our Constitution is written down in lots of places uh, and it can be difficult to interpret. But that means you can end up with political debate over um, constitutional principles, which means that different actors can interpret it to suit their own ends. And there's no independent authoritative source of advice on how it ought to be interpreted, no source of constitutional knowledge um, which can be drawn upon. So those were the problems that we hope that our recommendations that we've made in this final report will address. As Mike said, uh, we've, put, we've published a lot of other papers which look at some of the specific changes which might be proposed within the Constitution, but this paper is really designed to look at the process from 
whatever changes um, anyone might want to put forward in the Constitution, how we should do that better. So I'm going to hand over to Jess now, and I think uh, take this opportunity to thank Jess for all her hard work on, the, on this review. Um, and she's going to talk to you in more detail about the key proposals in this final paper. Thanks, Jess. Great. Thanks, Hannah. Um, as we said, our final report sets out some detailed proposals for how we think these problems can be addressed, which I'll run you through now. Firstly, one of our recommendations is to establish a new constitutional body. As Hannah mentioned, the constitution in the UK requires quite a lot of interpretation, but there's no authoritative body to be able to make judgments on it. In many constitutions, the courts play this role, but we don't think that this fits with the UK's political constitution. So instead, building on recommendations made by Philip Rycroft in one of his commission pieces for us and others, we propose establishing a new constitutional body. The purpose of this body would be to provide a central source of constitutional authority and knowledge, particularly in assessing aspects like convention that aren't necessarily clearly codified. We don't think its judgment should be binding, um, but it should inform other binding processes such as the legislative process um, or potentially in providing third party advice um, to intergovernmental relations mechanisms or similar. We also think it should provide long-term and holistic thinking on the Constitution, so to monitor trends, to scrutinise proposals for constitutional change put forward by governments, and also looking at their knock-on implications for other parts of the Constitution. This is part of the reason for making such a body permanent. We also think it should provide detailed and expert constitutional um, scrutiny of legislation and other policy. So in considering what form this body would take, we looked at other constitutional systems, particularly those without a strong role for the courts, and broadly we came up with two potential models for such a body. The first is a parliamentary committee, and here we took inspiration for the, from the Finnish Constitutional Law Committee, um, which has a key role in scrutinising the constitution in Finland. Um, the second model we looked at was an extra-parliamentary body, so here taking inspiration for, from Council of State models, and particularly here in the Netherlands. Now, there are various trade-offs between these two different models. An extra-parliamentary model would be able to draw on a wider range of expertise than a parliamentary committee because it wouldn't be constrained by the current membership of parliament. It would potentially be more independent from political parties and politics of the day. And it could also potentially have more resources. Generally, the government has more resources to draw upon than parliament. But ultimately, we concluded that in the current political climate, an extra parliamentary body would not be able to command the legitimacy that we think is absolutely essential to be able to perform this role. So instead, we think this body should be situated within parliament itself, drawing upon the political and democratic legitimacy of the membership of parliament, and also ensuring a really strong link to the parliamentary processes to make sure that its recommendations and judgments feed into the activities of MPs and peers. So therefore we recommend the establishment of a new parliamentary committee on the constitution. Um, we see this as a joint committee amalgamating the existing House of Lords constitution committee and the constitutional remit of the public administrations and constitutional affairs committee with members drawn from both houses. Um, we also would uh, recommend thinking about the inclusion of lay members um, to fill particular gaps in expertise and potentially also provision to allow members of the devolved legislatures, potentially the presiding officers, to attend where matters around devolution are under consideration. 
We think this committee should have powers beyond that of a normal select committee. We're considering something quite different here to those departmental committees. Um, we think it should have the power to be able to delay legislation, to ensure greater scrutiny of certain proposals, and to refer matters to uh, the floor of the House. Um, we also think its recommendations could be tabled as amendments to bills, which should be given priority. We also envisage this committee having a role in several of our other recommendations and we hope to give you a clear sense of that as we go through. We also recognise the need for a committee to have resources beyond that of a normal select committee. And for this reason, we recommend that the committee should be, um, should be supported by an office for the constitution. So we envisage this relationship to be very similar to the relationship of the Public Accounts Committee and the National Audit Office. The, the Office for the Constitution would provide impartial analysis and research on constitutional precedents, um, trends, various sources of the Constitution, which would then be used by the committee to make political judgments and deliberations on. Another key proposal in our report is to create a category of constitutional acts. Most countries set out clearly what is in their constitution um, and also a clear process for amending that constitution, including special requirements, thresholds and additional scrutiny requirements. There is this recognition here that constitutional law is fundamentally different to ordinary legislation. But in the UK, as Hannah's mentioned, there's little distinction between ordinary and constitutional legislation. There's only a simple majority required. And we've seen some trends, particularly as a result of Brexit, of legislation with major constitutional implications being rushed through without necessarily the full scrutiny process um, or being fully thought through. We think many of these constitutional acts are fundamental to the operation of our political system and therefore additional care and attention should be paid to these. So we recommend the establishment of a list of constitutional acts. Now, coming up with a watertight definition, we recognise is incredibly difficult, if not impossible, if we try to capture everything that could be constitutional. Nevertheless, we think that there is certain level of consensus that some acts are more important than others, and I would include in these the Parliament Acts, the Devolution Statutes, the, the, the Scotland Act, the Northern Ireland Act, the Government of Wales Act, um, amongst others. And so rather than focusing on definitions, we propose to focus, uh, focus on process um, and ensuring a mechanism to uh, bring together consensus on this list of constitutional acts. Um, we recommend that there should be a committee should be tasked with establishing this list of constitutional acts. And again, we think this could be um, a role given to the Parliamentary Committee on the Constitution if established. We also recognise there would be a need to introduce a process for certifying constitutional bills that either amended that list of um, constitutional acts or potentially identified new areas of the constitution um, and constitutional innovations. Again, we explore various options in the report of exactly how this could be done, but we recommend that this could be a good role for the committee. We think that these acts should also be given additional protections and drawing on Alison Young's paper for the review on constitutional entrenchment, we've looked at a range of options for how this could be done. Um, ultimately, we think that uh, constitutional acts should only be amended by primary legislation, so they should be protected from implied repeal, building on precedent established by the courts, um, and they should also be considered not within the scope of secondary legislation, so shouldn't, shouldn't be amended um, by broad Henry VIII powers. 
We also think that there should be an extensive scrutiny process from these constitutional bills beyond that of the existing legislative process. Um, constitutional legislation is of particular importance and therefore it should have more scrutiny and again in our report we set out detailed proposals for doing this including the requirement that all constitutional bills should be published in draft should be subject to select committee scrutiny during the legislative process and should have minimum timescales of at least six months. As well as looking at Parliament, we're also looking at ways to strengthen the Constitution within government and also clarify elements of the Constitution where necessary. We think officials are key guardians of the Constitution in providing advice and guidance to ministers, but this also relies on ministers being willing to listen. And as Jill Rutter published in her paper um, for the review, the past five years we've seen increasing tensions between ministers and officials on matters such as this. We need to ensure that the civil service has the expertise and the authority to be able to provide constitutional advice. Um, but we've seen the constitution move about in government, which we think has hampered the development of an institutional memory and a view of the constitution independent of the government of the day. Building on a recommendation made by Philip Rycroft in his paper for the review, we also recommend establishing a centre for constitutional expertise within government. So we think this should bring together what are the key constitutional advisory functions under the cabinet secretary. Um, this will include legal advice, parliamentary advice, advice on intergovernmental relations, although we still think ministers should have some flexibility to determine where to put key constitutional policy functions. So distinguishing here between policy and um, and kind of constitutional advice. We also think we should strengthen the role of the cabinet secretary as a, as a key constitutional advisor. We should make this role more explicit and also create mechanisms to allow the cabinet secretary to seek a ministerial direction where he cannot assure ministers of the constitutional propriety of their proposals. This would allow some level of parliamentary and public scrutiny where there are questions um, about constitutional propriety. We also think that there should be actions to strengthen existing constitutional guidance. It's often said that the UK constitution is not codified, but actually there are various sources where it is written down. One of the key ways that we think this could be done is by giving the cabinet manual more authority and status, drawing on experience from New Zealand, which also has a uncodified, largely uncodified um, or certainly no um, single written document. We make some recommendations for how we think this should be done. But as well as detailed guidance, we think there's a need to restate the high-level constitutional principles um, that underpin the functioning of our political system, like rule of law, parliamentary sovereignty, and universal suffrage. Drawing on the success of the Nolan principles for standards in public life, which have become well, well established and have articulated what are broadly seen as accepted standards of government, we think there should be a similar process um, for uh, constitutional principles. And again, we think this is potentially a role that could be given as the first task of the Parliamentary Committee on the Constitution or potentially a separate exercise established for this specific purpose. As Hannah mentioned, central to our proposals are giving the public a greater role in processes of constitutional change. We think constitutional change is of a special character, but it's often driven by short-term political interests because parties are players in the system as well as the ones that make the rules. Therefore, we think it's really essential for legitimacy and also the stability of the constitution and public faith in the system that the public have a role in the constitution. 
Traditionally, this is done through manifestos, although constitutional proposals are rarely particularly salient um, in elections. There's emerging precedent around the use of referendums on key constitutional issues such as the EU, devolution. Um, but there are concerns that have been raised about the binary nature of referendums and potentially a possibility to introduce further division in constitutional debate rather than necessarily to find consensus. We do think the referendums will continue to be a feature of the UK constitution and so where possible they should be held on detailed proposals rather than high level principles. But we also think that there are new ways and different ways to involve the public, including deliberative processes like citizens' assemblies and citizens' juries. And we think the government, where it's considering constitutional change, should look for opportunities to integrate these processes into um, broader processes of constitutional change. We think there are several places at which they could be used. They could be used to establish high-level principles um, to inform the development of specific pros proposals later on. We also think where the government has an agenda on constitutional change, for example, like House of Lords reform, um, citizens' assemblies could be used to come out with the details of some of these, which could then be um, translated into legislation or potentially put to a referendum. Um, public engagement exercises can also be used um, to develop public information to help citizens understand the key issues during referendum campaigns as well. But we do also recognise the risk that deliberative exercises like referendums can be used for political purposes. They could be poorly designed and delivered, risking that they're not conceived as impartial or legitimate. Their recommendations might be ignored, which can undermine their credibility and potentially their use in terms of restoring public trust in the system. So we do think it's absolutely essential that best practice is followed and that the government should establish a unit on deliberative engagement to help advise on this. We recognise the importance of devolution and the union in the UK constitution and the need to address some of the problems with its functioning. I think one thing that's come up very strongly in the course of this review is that each part of the UK has a unique perspective and faces unique challenges. There aren't necessarily catch-all solutions. Um, and several of our papers look at these issues specifically. So paper by Mike Kenny and Jack Newman looks at how to resolve the problem of, of English devolution. A paper published by Lisa Witten looks at specific improvements that could be um, made to improve the stability of power sharing in Northern Ireland. And a paper by Eileen McHarg looks at um, the kind of legal consequences of the, the blurring of boundaries between the devolved and reserved competencies. But we also think that some of the problems with the way the UK constitution and devolution work lie in the UK central institutions and the functioning of the constitution more broadly. So we do hope that some of our recommendations could help address some of these problems. For example, we see a role for the Parliamentary Committee on the Constitution in advising and mediating between the UK government and devolved administrations where there are different constitutional understandings or interpretations of how exactly devolution should operate. For example, we see a role for this committee in looking at the Sewell Convention and considering whether that has been correctly applied and adhered to, and also providing a non-legal opinion on some aspects of disagreement between the devolved administrations, preventing some of these problems from ending up in the courts, as we've seen increasingly recently. We also think that constitutional acts and creating this as a category can provide better protection for the legislation underpinning devolution, so that it can't be amended or changed without proper process and robust scrutiny. 
So finally, uh, a big question in any recommendations around the Constitution, particularly those that look to introduce additional process or potentially constrain the power of the executive, is why should any government adopt them? And why would they want to, essentially? We think there are several reasons why now is a really important moment in the UK Constitution for these proposals to be considered. The first is that we think that this is a moment of a crisis in trust in politics and political constitutions, so in political institutions. There's been a wave of scandals over MPs' conduct, and we think political parties need to reassert the fundamental constitutional principles underpinning our political system and strengthen mechanisms for ensuring that they are enforced um, to try and restore public trust in the system. We also think that the prolonged period of deadlock over Brexit, ongoing constitutional uncertainty and political instability has damaged the UK's reputation as a stable democracy. And this has implications beyond just the constitutional realm, has implications for the UK's international standing and its economic position as well. We think by introducing more robust safeguards and clearer processes for how constitutional change will happen in the future, this can help stabilise the constitution and address this particular problem. We also hope that our recommendations will be helpful for future governments who might have an agenda for constitutional change because they, we hope that they will help them deliver not just that change but deliver long-lasting and well thought through constitutional change. It's not just about changing the constitution, it's about doing it right, making a success of it and we think that some of our recommendations are key to being able to deliver that. But finally, we also think that politicians should think beyond their short-term political interests when they think about the Constitution, viewing the Constitution from the perspective of both government and opposition, because one day um, various uh, political circumstances may change. We think that proposals for the Constitution, including our proposals here, should be judged on the basis of principles and merit, not just politics. Overall, we think that the well, a well-functioning constitution relies on widespread political and public buy-in. We think that arrangements need broad consensus if they're able to command the respect that is necessary to ensure that they will function effectively. And that's what we've tried to achieve with these proposals here. They're a product of robust testing with our advisory board, with academics and experts in their field, many of whom are here today. So we want to thank everyone who's contributed so far to this review, and we hope that this is a conversation that, that can continue. This conference today is a set of panels that will draw on the various themes of the Constitution that we have identified in our report. Um, throughout the course of the day, we'd really welcome your feedback on some of our proposals and ideas laid out here and beyond as well. Please do get in touch. Um, we're very keen to continue the conversation um, in the course of the day and in future. Um, so. Finally, the last thing for me to do is to thank you all. Um, we are now moving on to a short coffee break before we're resuming at 11.15 for our next panel. Is Parliament able to fulfil its constitutional role? Um, but thanks again for listening, and we hope uh, you'll be interested in reading our final report.